Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from King of Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. So just a couple of thoughts as God continues to speak to us, minister to us through the vision of the living water. In uh, John 19, we read of his version of um, the crucifixion. And I'm going to, to read from verse 13. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Now, of course, the man who's giving testimony is John himself. And uh, you would not naturally expect to pierce a dead body with a spear and outflow blood and water. And what is the significance of that? Because obviously, as Jesus has just been crucified, he's, he's in the process really of the crucifixion taking place, it must be of great significance. And what the cross accomplished was the, not only the forgiveness of our sins, healing of our diseases, the overcoming of the enemy, but it needed the work of the cross for the river of life, the water of life from the throne of God to be released. That river could not begin to flow into the lives of God's new covenant people without the cross. So this gives added weight to what God has been saying to us through this vision of the river and how significant that is for harvest. Because there could be no harvest without the cross. There could be no harvest without that release of the river of life. And Jesus, of course, referred to himself as the temple. He said, if you destroy this temple, I will build it in three days. And, uh, you know, there's lots of Jewish people that are longing for the rebuilding of a temple in Jerusalem that I don't think will ever happen because it's, I believe, a misunderstanding of Scripture that what happens in the vision in Ezekiel 47 is that living water begins to flow out of the temple. And when that spear pierced Jesus' side, the living water began to flow out of the temple. 
and it's been flowing out of the temple ever since and gets deeper and deeper and everything it touches turns from death to life. As I said the other day, it's amazing how, you know, when you have an encounter with God, scriptures, several scriptures take on new life and new meaning that you hadn't really perceived before. That's one of the great things about being a Christian. You never know it all. In fact, you know very little. But every day is a day of revelation where you learn more and more and more of the truth. And alongside that, the Lord has been talking to me in recent days about what he sees. Now, that was important for Jesus, wasn't it, during his ministry, that he did only the things he saw his father doing. So it's important for us, I believe, to understand what God sees, what Jesus now sees. Now, we know that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. Scripture tells us that in the sense that outside of those who have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, people live in sin. And even the redeemed are still able to sin and do sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And when you think at this moment, this, just this moment of time, how much sin is taking place all over the world? How much that is really offensive to God, opposed to the will of God? Do you think God looks upon all of that. Because the scripture says that he chooses not to look on sin. And what God has been showing me these last few days is that he never looks upon any of that sin. It is so offensive to his holiness, he never looks upon it. He never even looks on the sin in your life because all sin is so offensive to his holiness. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you're watching television and suddenly unexpectedly you may be watching a movie or drama or something and suddenly there's a very violent scene or a very sexual scene, your instinctive reaction is to look away. That's the Holy Spirit within you. No, you don't look at that. That's sin. Sin isn't entertainment. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Well, now, if you imagine God with all this sin going on all the time, how could he look upon it in his holiness? He chooses to see none of it, but he knows all. All of it. And that's the point. 
Nothing is hidden from his knowledge. But if something is sinful and offensive in his holiness, he will not look upon it. If, you, if, you, uh, if we can think in this way, he averts his divine eyes, but he knows. Nothing can be hidden from his knowledge. And the reason why he was talking to me about this is he says that this is how he wants his children also to operate. We know about sin, but we don't look at it. And even in our own lives, God wants us to recognize sin, to repent of it so that we can be forgiven, but not to look on it, not to dwell upon it, not to regurgitate that which has already passed under the bridge and away downstream, never to be seen again. The enemy often tries to get people to remember, to recount, to look at past sin. And, of course, when he does that, he's, getting, he's drawing people away from the truth that those things exist no longer. Once they're forgiven, they don't exist. So, you know, I've, I've found... you may not hit you in the same way, but I found this is so helpful just to understand something more about God and how he treats sin, what his attitude is towards sin. So when Jesus says that he did only what he sees his father doing, he knows his father doesn't look on sin. But what his father does is to see the outworking of his will and of his purpose. So he knew the father would show him whatever he needed to do for the outworking of his kingdom purposes. So praise God, the more we encounter him in that holiness, the more that holiness impacts our lives. And the more that holiness impacts our lives, the more like him we become. Remembering that we have no holiness of our own, that Jesus Christ is our holiness. Just as we have no righteousness of our own, but he is our righteousness. So praise God, we have been made totally acceptable to him. And, you know, when, as we are involved in, of course, the harvest in uh, reaching the lost. There are two ways in which you can approach evangelism. You can make people conscious of sin or try to make them conscious of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can convict them of sin and being conscious of sin is not the same as being convicted of sin. But you can make people conscious of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can convict them of sin. You can threaten them with hell, a Christless eternity. But if you do that, you're not going to make a very good disciple because 
if people respond, they're going to respond out of fear rather than out of love, as a response to love. The other way to evangelize is how Jesus evangelized, how the New Testament Christians evangelized, and that is to talk about what God wants to give. That he came with the gift of the kingdom. He came to impart. He came, right, to receive, as Jesus made clear right at the beginning of his ministry, we have to repent of our sin and believe. But if you put the emphasis on the repentance, people don't know what to believe. And it's not, you're not saved just because you believe Jesus died for your sins. You're saved because you know he's the Son of God who came to impart to you the life, the new life of the kingdom of God. So it's always, I found, very much more productive to speak of the positive than of the negative. And you see, that's what God does. He looks at the positive. He doesn't keep looking at the sin, doesn't keep looking at the negative. He knows full well that the sin has to be dealt with, which is why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. But you see, just think about it. If you want people to repent of their sins, why? Why should they? If you look at it from their angle, uh, that of a non-believer, most people aren't even conscious of sin or don't even think of themselves as sinners. But if they receive revelation that God wants to give them a kingdom and all that that involves, then they're going to have good motivation to do whatever is necessary to receive that kingdom, to receive the life, to receive eternal life, to receive all the blessings and joys that God is offering through his saving grace. It's creating the hunger. And once the hunger is there, then people will see the need to do whatever is necessary for that hunger to be satisfied. But so often Christians try to evangelize where there's no hunger. And if there's no hunger, people won't eat. If they're not thirsty, they won't drink. So you've got to create the hunger, you've got to create the thirst, first of all. That's not a thing of the mind. It's a thing of the heart. It's a thing of the spirit, really. And that's why the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential if we're going to be effective in um, really seeing the harvest brought in. As a matter of fact, I must have seen thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of people saved over the years through my ministry. All the glory of God goes to that. But never, ever, ever has that been because I preach the negative, always because I preach the positive. And you, you see the hunger created and people willing to respond. And I learned this right in the very early days 
right at the very beginning of the move of God in Luton in 1970. Because when the people came for the first of our How to Know Jesus and to be filled with his spirit groups, um, first thing I did, I mean, they, they really, they were times of teaching, but before we got into the teaching, because people need the word, can't believe without revelation of the word, but before that I, I would always go around uh, and ask each person what they thought a Christian is. Now, these were non-believers, you see. So what do you believe a Christian is, or what do you think a Christian is? And, uh, of course, they would get it all wrong, but we, um, I knew that. They, they, they wouldn't know the answer. But, you see, sometimes you've got to get rid of the wrong thinking before you can impart the right thinking. You can't put the right thinking on top of the wrong thinking. And you see, as I went around the room, people would say things, well, a Christian is someone who goes to church. Or a Christian is someone who prays. Or a Christian is someone who tries to live a good life. Or a Christian is someone who does good works. Things like that. The whole emphasis on a Christian is someone who does. And then, you see, I could say, I would do it very gently and lovingly and sensitively, none of those answers even approaches the truth. Because a Christian is not someone who does things, but someone for whom God has done something. And so then, you see, the whole emphasis is upon what God does, what he gives, how he wants to bless, how he wants... And that, of course, is totally, totally new thinking for every unbeliever. None of them realize that. Never, ever, ever, in all the groups that I had, and we saw about 50 people coming to the Lord every month in those groups, Never, ever did anyone say when I asked the question, well, a Christian is someone for whom God does something. It's just not in their thinking. And this is why it's so important if we're going to be effective communicators of the gospel, that right from the very beginning we're putting our emphasis not upon the person, not upon the needs of the person or even the sins of the person, but upon God and what he wants to give and what he wants to impart. And you see, what I found is, okay, that creates the hunger. I mean, I'm using shorthand now because this would obviously take um, some time to explain. But if if they get the understanding, God wants to give me a kingdom, God wants to give me life, he wants to give me eternal life, or whatever that means, then, you see, you've created the context in which you can go on, as we would do in the following week. We had just four weeks. Um, The first week was, what is a Christian? The second week was the cross. The third week was the Holy Spirit, and the fourth week was the body of Christ. So that everybody understood that if they're going to give their life to Christ, they're giving their life to the body of Christ at the same time. 
So <clears throat> once they have this revelation of what God wants to give, then the cross becomes relevant. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, three and a half years preaching the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, no mention of the cross. Creating the hunger first. Kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. The only mention of the cross was the prophetic words to his disciples. But then there comes the cross. And then the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 saved on the first day. The hunger of being created. The cross made it possible for the living water to then be released from the throne of God into the lives of all those who responded with repentance and faith. So, we are God speakers, not sin seekers. Oh, that was a, that was a Jonathan, a Jonathanism, that was. <laughs> he collects those things. Yeah, write, write that one down. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, I hadn't intended to say all that this morning, but just to, to bring the, a couple of re- revelations, but... There we are. You have this opportunity today to actually speak to people uh, about the Lord, not about their sin. Amen? <laughs> Let them understand. And it's not just a question of saying Jesus loves you, but of giving revelation of what that means. That in love he wants to give, he wants to bless, he wants to serve Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.